Well, good morning. Yes, I was originally supposed to be in Stanford, and there was a change of plans, good change of plans, but anyway, I had made the day a Connecticut day because in the afternoon I'm over in Bloomfield with our Ghanaian church over in Bloomfield. And I said, well, okay, there's no time if I go to, I said, I gotta be in central Connecticut somewhere. I said, Pastor Pearson, let's see if I can get a, get, seek myself in. So I'm very grateful that I was an answer to prayer. Praise God. Plus, Frank, last September when we introduced you and your family, he took me around back and twisted my arm and said, you better come sometime soon. So, <laughs> no, just kidding. So it's good to be here. Uh, I bring greetings from Charmin, my wife. Um, she was talking about getting old because it, this fall, it'll be 20 years we left Rockville Tallinn. I don't know what 20 years have gone. You haven't visited in 20 years. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> But uh, I, I praise God for Charmin. She has, uh, she has become a local elder in the village church. She's been an elder now for two years, and she takes it so seriously. Wow. And uh, she was on the platform today, and there was no getting her away from that because she had prepared. She was ready. So um, she is a great counselor and pastor to me, and uh, grateful for her all the time. Uh, great things are happening in our conference. No help to me, from me, but uh, just God's spirit. Do you realize that in the two years of the pandemic, from March of 2020 to March of this year, your executive committee in this conference has approved 11 new churches and church companies. Eleven. Um, as many of you know, I'm a I'm a long timer in this conference. I've been here for 35 years working, 37 I think actually now. Um, I've never seen 11 churches, new churches and church companies in a two year period. And that was during a pandemic. So the devil thought he was going to discourage us and guess what, jokes on him. See, sometimes it's, it's difficult in our local church situation to see the bigger picture. But the bigger picture is across our three states is that God is pouring his spirit out. Even right here within Connecticut, you have uh, a new church company in Fairfield, Waterbury, uh, Wallingford, a uh, new church, Hispanic church in Willimantic, New Britain, East Hartford. I mean, that's a lot within the past. That's not just the two years here. That's about a four-year growth here. So God is even expanding the work here. I, I love to tell people when we put together the conference logo, I made sure when the three states were listed, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. Connecticut gets top billing in my, in my book. And, um, you know, when I had an open morning, which state did I want to go to? Connecticut, see? I thought it was 
No, it wasn't alphabetical order. I got to be transparent on that one. People ask me, how can you, a, a New York Yankee fan, live in Massachusetts? And I tell them, I tell them this, I have a missionary spirit. And I am there to convert the Red Sox heathen. So, uh, <laughs> but it is good to be here in uh, Rockville, Tolland. I, I want to bring this uh, now to our sermon time. And as you saw, our scripture lesson is from the end of Matthew 24. And I'm going to read that parable for us now. Jesus said this, verse 42. He said, therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know the day which your Lord is coming. But be sure of this. If the head of the house had known at what time the, the night the thief was coming, he would have been alert, and he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour in which you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible servant whom his master put in charge of his household and gave them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom the master finds doing this when he comes, for truly I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if the evil servant says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards, then the master of that servant will come on a day in which he does not expect him at an hour that he does not know. This is how Matthew 24 ends. In fact, Matthew 24 as a chapter and Matthew 25 are actually just one unit. Jesus did not speak in chapters. Um, this, it's all one story and we might get into 25 in just a little bit. But the thing that I want to bring out here is that in Matthew, in Matthew 24, this last parable, to understand the full impact of it, we really need to look at the wider context of this chapter. Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. I read them for you. Jesus came from the temple and was going away with his disciples, and they came out and pointed to him the temple buildings. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, that not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And he was sitting on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Whoa, these are some big things. This is a chapter that is held dearly by Seventh-day Adventists, especially the understanding of this chapter in its relationship to Daniel and Revelation. And the, the, Jesus is talking about some huge things here. He's talking about the temple being destroyed. He's talking about Jerusalem being destroyed. And if we had gone into Matthew 23, just prior to this, Jesus is talking about um, the city falling. And then he's also talking about the end of time. Um, 
they, the disciples ask him these questions. You know, one of, one of the things that get, really attracts my attention here is that the disciples said to Jesus, do you not see the temple? Well, yeah. Why are they taking the time to point the temple out? They, they had been to the temple many times. Why, what's going on? Well, Jesus, as I said, at the end of Matthew 23, he's referring to the, the end of Jerusalem. And their thought is, well, this, how can this end? Look at the temple, it's big, it's stone, it's big. How can this happen? And the disciples come to him with these questions and they, and they, they wanna know when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your return? And when will be the end of time? In their minds and in their thinking, these three things went together. It was a package deal. That was their end time theology. That's the way they thought. And Jesus then begins to talk to them about this end of time package deal that they're looking at. And he goes on to start in this chapter listing off all the signs, the wonders, and all the events that will take place that will lead to the end of time. For example, and I, instead of reading all these verses, I've just pulled up and made a list out. He says he'll talk about wars and rumors of wars. He'll talk about nations rising up against nations, famines and earthquakes, tribulation, distress, church people being killed and hated by all nations. He talks about the, the, the um, coming of false Christ, how many in the church will fall away. He'll talk about betrayal among church members, lawlessness being increased, love, agape, servant love growing cold, false prophets. Then finally he talks about the gospel being preached to the world. He'll talk about something called the abomination of desolation. He'll talk about these signs in the heavens, how the, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give it, not give its light, the stars will fall. And finally you will see the Son of Man in the sky. That's quite a listing. That is quite a listing of events that are going to happen. Adventism, our church has made, uh, has made this, for some, our sole purpose for understanding these things and the implications of these things. We have our charts, we have our graphs, where there have been thousands and hundreds of thousands of sermons preached on these topics, Bible studies, there are whole television stations dedicated to just talking about these sorts of events. It seems that they cannot talk about anything else. How do they fit together with Daniel and Revelation? And I'm not saying that this is a bad thing, but I do believe that we've lost a little bit of balance. We've lost a little bit of focus, biblical focus. And after the disciples ask these questions about the destruction and the return of the Lord, Jesus, as I said, tells them that these things are going to happen. But notice how Jesus prefaces all these things in verse 4. 
Matthew 24, verse 4, he says this. See to it that no one misleads you. See, before Jesus mentions the events and all the things that will take place, he puts out this caution. See that no one misleads you. Prophetic events, we should take his counsel very seriously. Prophetic events can be used and misused to mislead people. And as a church, we are vulnerable to this. We are always looking, because rightfully so, we're always looking for the next big thing in prophetic understanding. We're looking for that some word, some understanding that's going to give us the clue that fall in line with the perfect understanding of end time events. And that's why we need our charts and our diagrams updated so that we can be, as we say, ready. We've been look, busy looking for all those key pieces of information, sometimes myopically so, but sometimes we miss a bigger picture. In many ways, we have not heeded this counsel that Jesus gave, that no, let no one mislead you. Let me explain. In the list of things that I extracted from Matthew 24 in this long list of events, and that are going to happen, um, I want to see what Jesus thought of all these events. In other words, after all these things happen, what's the conclusion of it? What's the bottom line? And that's where our scripture lesson comes in today. Notice what it says in Matthew 24, verse 42. It's kind of a, you got the 24, and then the 4, 2 backwards. Easy to remember. <laughs> Jesus says this, Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know the day which your Lord is coming. It starts with the word, therefore. What is the significance? That word is so significant because when you begin with the word therefore, what you are doing is you are starting with a conclusion. This is the bottom line. The bottom line, according to Jesus, is, is that after all these prophetic things will happen, all these events will happen, his bottom line for us is to, one, be alert. Be alert. This verb, be alert, simply means don't sleep. Don't sleep. And so why be, why be alert? Because when all these end time events happen, when all these stressful things happen as Jesus listed them, the bottom line is you're still not, not going to know the day nor the hour. See, we think if you understand it just enough, we will know the day and the hour. No. The call from Jesus is to be alert because you will not know the day or hour. So all the charts and diagrams and sermons, they have to be held in proper perspective. They are not going to give us the exact time, location, and events. What we need is alertness. So how do you be alert? 
The disciples had asked him specifically the question about timing. His answer to them was, you're not going to know the time. So now he gives them the idea of being alert, how to be alert. And we get this parable of a, of a lord who owns a house. The one who owns the house, the head of the house, is the lord in this parable. And we learn that he has a servant that he places in control of his household while he is away. And in verse 45, this servant is described as being a faithful and sensible servant. What's the King James say there? Wise, wise, okay, good. The word there in the Greek language that translated sensible or wise literally means the diaphragm. And you go, what? The diaphragm, the muscle that controls the insides of our, of our upper body, works with the lungs, works with the intestines down below. It, it, the diaphragm is an extremely, extremely important muscle within the body. Uh, but why would the diaphragm be translated as wise or sensible? Let's think about this for a moment. Why would the Greeks who installed this meaning on this word, why would they say the word diaphragm was significant of intelligence, wisdom, sensibility, what is it about the diaphragm? Think about it for a moment. Think about your own body. When we are nervous, when we are, are afraid, what is the first thing we begin to do? We begin to breathe a little more heavily. In fact, any sort of stress in our bodies, whether it be good stress or bad stress, whether we are feeling emotional about something, whether that emotion be good or bad, the first thing that happens is that the respiration in our body begins to increase, which is indicative of the diaphragm working. This is why the lie detector test that the police use, they put a strap around here to measure respiration because it measures the diaphragm. Physically, in the body, the diaphragm works, as I said, through any sort of stress or emotion that we, we have. And the higher the stress, good or bad, the more the diaphragm works. So thus, the ancient people saw the connection between one's thoughts, one's emotion, and the, this response in their gut. You know, people, you get nervous, and what do you, oh, I feel a little sick to my stomach. That's because of the diaphragm. And so the ancients saw this connection that truly a wise person, a sensible person, was someone who had control of their diaphragm. A person who was in control of their emotions. There was a... Uh, There was a um, 
the first ever president of the North American division was a man by the name of Charles Bradford. And Charles Bradford, in fact, I think he just died last fall. But a few years ago, when the North American division opened up their own building in Columbia, Maryland, the then president, Dan Jackson, brought Elder Bradford there to be the first person to walk into the building officially. It was kind of, a, it was kind of a, an emotional thing because with the North American in division in the General Conference building, the only piece of property that the North American division owned, and I'm serious about this, the only piece of property that the North American, American division owned was the desk that the president had. Everything else was rented from the General Conference, everything. Folding chairs, tables, desks, everything was the general conferences. And so now he's the first one to walk in, and they had a talk with him later on, and wise old man, and they were asking him questions, and he was asked the question, what is the most important thing you've learned about leadership through the years? And he, without hesitation, he said this, don't let people know that they get you angry. Because once they know that you get, are angry, they are in your head, and they will control you. He was just saying this in another way. I was in control of my diaphragm. I was able to be sensible and wise and think clearly through these things. And this is what Jesus is talking about here, the wise and sensible servant. How is this sensibility, this wisdom displayed? We learn in verse 45, it says, who then is the faithful and sensible servant whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at their proper time? The faithful and sensible servant is the one who's taking care of his fellow servants. To put it another way, the faithful and sensible servant is the one who cares about relationships. Building strong relationships in the church. And that is exactly the point of this parable of Jesus. Jesus is being very clear because this world is going to cause a lot of stress. Jesus listed all the things that are going to happen. There's going to be a lot of stress, and he wanted his disciples to understand that this is the way they need to understand things, especially at the end. The disciples wanted to know about signs. They wanted to know about timing. Jesus basically throws their concerns out the window and says, this is what you need to be concerned about. Therefore, this is the conclusion. Be this wise and sensible servant. And what does the wise and sensible servant do? He cares for his fellow servants. For far too long, we have understood, and this is the kind of unbalance that I think that we have been guilty of over time. I think for far too long, we have understood being ready for the end of time as simply an exercise of our minds. 
Give me the knowledge on how to read the signs of the times, and then my mind will be right, and then I'll be ready for Jesus to come back. It's not a bad thing to have knowledge. I'm not downplaying knowledge. Hopefully you can see I love studying scripture. But Jesus places readiness for troublesome and stressful times in terms of action. To be faithful and sensible, to be an end-time disciple, is to be caring for our fellow servants. You know, we want other people to understand our concern about Jesus' return understand our concern about end time events. We, are, we believe it passionately that Jesus is coming back again. Brother, you were talking about all those people that are just doing things. They don't understand the, the love of Jesus and the times we're living in. All of it is true. But it must come not just by an inf information download into their minds. It comes through the care of service to other people. Amen. We individually are the greatest evangelistic tool that God has. Amen. And it's not about, as I said, necessarily at first, primarily, it's not about an information download. It's about uh, a relationship download, growing friendships, letting people understand that we love them as Jesus loved them. To contrast this, look at the, the evil servant in this parable. What does he do? He doesn't care about his own servants. He's about doing his own thing. Says he's getting drunk, hanging out with whoever. Doesn't care about his fellow servants. The disciples, as they listen to Jesus, learned a great lesson here, and they obviously learned to live this. Don't have the time today, but if you go into Matthew 25 and you look at the three parables that are told there, they all teach the same lesson of what it is to be prepared and alert. They all teach about building relationships. The last parable, sheep and the goats, there's no greater parable to teach this. But this is how God wants us to balance the end of time. Have the knowledge, certainly. But even with all the knowledge, it's still not going to give you the time, the day, or the, when it's exactly going to happen. Be alert. How are we alert? By caring for one another. God bless the Rockville Tallinn Church. I hope that this is of encouragement to you and that you can go away from here strengthened to know that God wants to use you individually Amen. to be an end-time servant for him. Thank you for listening today. Amen.